Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. You're talking about how you have 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat, TL Adam. Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. Yes, sir. A lot of people have been trying to attack immigration. Uh, Mr. President, I know you don't want to comment on other senators' positions in the negotiations, but what... Today, General Milley also testified that he spoke with several authors for their books about the former president. Does President Biden think that's appropriate? I don't, I'm not going to make an evaluation on that from here. Does the, does the White House not have to sign off um, any time an SAO senior administration official sorry, speaks to the press? Knowing that the president gets to make this decision, knowing he may have to make further decisions going down the line. So not looking at the history. Mm -hmm. But I think the public wants to know if the generals and military advisors give advice, how will the president use and process that? And how will he talk about it publicly? That matters to the public. Did the president convey accurately what these generals were saying to him. So what is the White House's reaction to some other aspects of General Milley's testimony? He said, among other things, that it was a mistake for two successive American presidents to have a date-based or date-certain withdrawal that it ought to be conditions-based. He also indicated in his testimony that the idea of the U.S. credibility would be damaged would be a word that should be looked at. General Milley specifically said that, that he believed it was a mistake for there to be date-certain withdrawals versus conditions-based. He said that was a lesson he learned. Does the president... Uh, agree with that? Does this White House acknowledge that it was a mistake? General Milley was asked if he, after the President's term, using extraordinary success for what transpired in August, and Milley said uh, it was just but a strategic failure. I think those are two different things. Is that kind of an accurate assessment in your guys' view of what transpired in August? You guys acknowledge the sort of broader truth that it's not, that it does cost somebody, right? That the, that the cost of the investments that the president wants to make don't simply, they're not simply a free lunch, right? Whether they're going to cost people who smoke cigarettes or they're going to cost business people or they're going to cost companies or they're going to cost rich people. Like, the cost of what the president wants to do over the course of the next decade and beyond falls on somebody, right? President Obama okay. um, on ABC said immigration is tough. This was an interview that aired on Good Morning America. Got it. Yes. Um, 
Immigration's tough. It's, it has always been because on one hand, I think we're naturally people that wants to help others. At the same time, we're a nation state. We have borders. The idea that we can just have open borders is something that, as a practical matter, is unsustainable. Does President Biden agree with President Obama that open borders is unsustainable? We don't have open borders. Given that he understands the gravity and he has framed it in the historical context, um, I know that you said you're not going to detail private conversations, but can you give us a little bit more of an explanation as to why not? Don't the, you know, doesn't the American public, given the historical gravity of that decision, don't they deserve to know who was advising them? As he sat down with Prime Minister Modi last week, the president said that the Indian press is better behaved than the U.S. press, and then he advised him not to take questions. The American president was criticizing U.S. reporters in that setting? Well, I would note first that he took questions on Friday, and he took again today. It happened that he was sitting next to Prime Minister of India, the, world, the world's largest democracy, when he said that. It also followed the incident on Wednesday when he was sitting next to the Prime Minister of Great Britain. Is the president reticent to take questions when he's sitting next to a foreign leader in the Oval Office? Can we expect him to do that in the future? Steve, he took questions earlier that day on Friday. He'd already taken questions that day. I think that was the context of, uh, of his. The president said that the Indian press was better behaved than the U.S. press, but the Indian press is ranked 142nd in the world, according to reporters without borders for press freedoms. I mean, how does he say that about the U.S. press compared to the Indian press? You touched on this, but uh, I'm wondering, you know, the El Paso Times has walked back their claim that border agents were using uh, whips to deter Haitian migrants. Um, this is kind of a, a controversy. Some people are weighing what is a whip versus what is a, a rain. Um, and the El Paso Times put out a clarification saying, clarification saying it was not an actual whip. Does that change anything for the administration in, in light of the, the statements that were made last week? Uh, I don't think anyone could look at those photos uh, and think that was appropriate action or behavior or something uh, that uh, should be accepted uh, within uh, our administration. There's an investigation that's ongoing. Uh, we'll let that play out, but our reaction... Thanks, Jen. Uh, a week ago, the National School Boards Association wrote to the president to say that their teachers feel like some parents protesting recently could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. And then the attorney general put the FBI on the case. So does the administration agree that parents upset about their kids' curriculums could be considered domestic terrorists? Well, let me unravel this a little bit because the National School Board Association is not a part of the U.S. government. I'd point you to them. What the Department of Justice said in a letter from the Attorney General is that, quote, threats against public servants are not only illegal, they run counter to our nation's core values. That is true. These were threats against public servants, threats against uh, members of the school board. Uh, regardless of the reasoning, uh, threats and violence against public servants is illegal. That's what he was conveying from the Department of Justice. But the Department of Justice does now have the FBI on this. Uh, something that the School Boards Association is asking for is uh, for the administration to consider using the Patriot Act to investigate some of these school board protesters. So would the administration be okay with the FBI using the Patriot Act to surveil these parents if that is what they decide. I don't speak on behalf of the National School Board Association. I speak on behalf of this government. The Attorney General has put out a letter. They will take actions they take, and I would point to them for more information. And, uh, something that you said on Monday after some protesters were hounding Kirsten Cinema into a restroom, you said the President stands uh, for the fundamental right of people to protest to object and to criticize. So does the president support the fundamental right of these parents 
to protest at school board meetings. Of course, but he doesn't stand for the fundamental right. I assume you don't either for people to take a violent action uh, against members of public servants. And that's what the threats are about. And yeah. so, no, he doesn't stand for that. Just, no. uh, a group of activists followed Senator Kirsten Sinema into a ladies' room screaming about the Build Back Better plan yesterday. The president said today, I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody and it's part of the process. He is an expert on the process. Has he ever been chased into a restroom? <laughs> Well, let, let me be clear here, because I think the context of what happened here is very important. Um, and Senator Sinema put out a statement this morning. So as she said, and I would reiterate from here, the protection of the freedom to protest, to speak out, and to criticize is fundamental to our democracy. The president believes that. Maybe he shorthanded it, but he wanted to make that clear this morning. What happened this weekend was that her classroom, her students, uh, and, and the safe and intellectually stimulating environment she's worked to create during the years she's teaching at, at ASU were, was breached. That's inappropriate and unacceptable. And I think the context of what happened here is important, despite the fact that, of course, we stand for, the president stands for, the fundamental right of people to protest, to object, to criticize, uh, as they often do outside of the gates of the White House. So does the White House condemn these protesters who chased her into the room? I just said it was inappropriate and unacceptable. We'll, I think that we'll pretty much... Not to do that again. I think that's pretty clear, that they shouldn't uh, they shouldn't uh, uh, breach the, the classroom and make the students students feel like their privacy, their intellectually stimulating classroom, uh, and their time as students in college is being uh, broached upon. Into COPS summit here. Yeah. Do you worry that this could impact the pledges that countries are willing to make? Will other governments get weak need about going green at a time when they're facing brewing sort of political crises at home or really skyrocketing prices on renewable fuel sources? We certainly hope not. I mean, I think what COP26 is about is to continue the, con the conversation uh, on the international stage at the leader level uh, that has been going on below the leader level continuously, basically, about our need to work together to address the climate crisis, uh, one of the greatest national security crises the president sees. A number of other world leaders agree on that front. Certainly, we all want to keep gasoline prices low, uh, but uh, the threat of the crisis, uh, the climate crisis, certainly can't wait any longer. Thank you. Uh, go ahead. Yes, uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, on the, um, you sound pretty lukewarm about the McConnell idea. Uh, Into COPS summit here. Yeah. Do you worry that this could impact the pledges that countries are willing to make? Will other governments get weak need about going green at a time when they're facing brewing sort of political crises at home or really skyrocketing prices of non-renewable fuel sources? We certainly hope not. I mean, I think what COP26 is about is to continue the, con the conversation uh, on the international stage at the leader level. Uh, that has been going on below the leader level continuously, basically, about our need to work together to address the climate crisis, uh, one of the greatest national security crises the president sees. A number of other world leaders agree on that front. Certainly, we all want to keep gasoline prices low, uh, but uh, the threat of the crisis, uh, the climate crisis, certainly can't wait any longer. Thank you. Uh, go ahead. Yes, you're fine. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, on the, um, you sound pretty lukewarm about the McConnell idea. Uh and welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 8th of October, year of our Lord, 2021. Decided to start with the Spin Master, because today we got a pretty good show. We're going to do the Afghan hearings, the new DOJ directive, Facebook, and it just doesn't stop. 
We said it for years. They are the fascist. Now they show they are the fascist. So with no more further ado, let's go straight into Millie. Now to top U.S. military leaders facing tough questions in the House today after the chaotic and deadly withdrawal from Afghanistan. And tonight what the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Mark Milley, said today about the potential terror threat inside Afghanistan now that the U.S. is out and how soon that threat could come. So let's get right back to our chief global affairs correspondent, Martha Raddatz, following this again tonight, Martha. And those words were sobering today. They certainly were very sobering comments today from General Milley. He said that while we are safe right now, conditions are more likely than not for al-Qaeda and ISIS to reconstitute in Afghanistan, and that could happen in as little as six months, adding that al-Qaeda could once again have aspirations to attack the United States. And with no U.S. forces in Afghanistan and the Taliban in charge, the general acknowledged that countering that threat be much harder, David, but not impossible, David. All right, Martha Raddatz with us tonight. Martha, thank you. Republicans grilled Milley about the U.S. military withdrawal in Afghanistan and over his phone calls to China after the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. Milley reassured Beijing that the U.S. was not going to attack amid concerns that former President Trump would engage in erratic behavior. Will you now resign? I serve at the pleasure of the president. Wyoming Congresswoman Liz Cheney, also a Republican, rushed to Milley's defense. I want to apologize for those members of this committee who've done so, and I want to thank you for standing in the breach when so many, many in this room failed to do so. The White House said President Biden's view of Milley has not changed. I would General Milley, um, yes or no to this, did you talk to Bob Woodard or Robert Costa for their book, Peril? Woodward, yes. Coster, no. Did you talk to Carol Leonick and Philip Rucker for their book, Alone, Can I Fix It? Yes. Did you talk to Michael Bender for his book? Book is, frankly, we did win this election, the inside story of how Trump lost. Yes. yes. And were you accurately represented in these books? I haven't read any of the books, so I don't know. I've, I've seen press know. reporting of it. I, okay. I haven't read the book. Uh, so. Let's have you read the books and then let us know if you are accurately presented Absolutely. and portrayed. Happy to do that. And he is not telling the truth to the American people. With that, I have a few questions that I'd like you to keep short, concise answers to. On August 18th, in a media interview to the American people, the president said that none of his military advisors told him that he should keep U.S. forces in Afghanistan. General Milley. That was a false statement by the President of the United States, was it not? I didn't even see the statement, to tell you the truth. I'm reading you a truthful statement. Um, that, was, that was a false statement. Yeah, I'm not. I'm, look, at, look I, I don't have a lot of time. Okay, was that okay. a false statement to the American I'm people I'm not going to categorize not? a statement of the President of the United States. General McKenzie, was that a false statement? The, pre the President said none of his commanders said that he should keep troops in Afghanistan. Was that a false statement by the President of the United States? Remember, you do not have a duty to cover for the President when he's not telling the truth. Was that a false statement I've or not? You, I've given you my opinion on the matter. I've given you my judgment on it. I'll, I I'll think leave. we all know it was a false statement. And I buried a lot of my troops who died while defending this country. My loyalty to this nation, its people, and the Constitution hasn't changed and will never change as long as I have a breath to give. My loyalty is absolute, 
and I will not turn my back on the fallen. With respect to the Chinese calls, I routinely communicated with my counterpart, General Lee, with the knowledge and coordination of civilian oversight. I am specifically directed to communicate with the Chinese by Department of Defense guidance, the policy dialogue system. These military-to-military -military communications at the highest level are critical to the security of the United States in order to deconflict military actions, manage crisis, and present, prevent war between great powers that are armed with the world's most deadliest weapons. Its people and the Constitution hasn't changed and will never change as long as I have a breath to give. My loyalty is absolute, and I will not turn my back on the fallen. With respect to the Chinese calls, I routinely communicated with my counterpart, General Lee, with the knowledge and coordination of civilian oversight. I am specifically directed to communicate with the Chinese by Department of Defense guidance, the policy dialogue system. These military-to-military -military communications at the highest level are critical to the security of the United States in order to deconflict military actions, manage crisis, and present, prevent war between great powers that are armed with the world's most deadliest weapons. The calls on 30 October and 8 January were coordinated before and after with Secretary Esper and Acting Secretary Miller's staffs and the interagency. The specific purpose of the October and January calls were to generate or were generated by concerning intelligence, which caused us to believe the Chinese were worried about an attack on them by the United States. I know, I am certain that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese, and it is my directed responsibility, and it was my directed responsibility by the Secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese. My task at that time was to de-escalate. My message again was consistent. Stay calm, steady, and de-escalate. We are not going to attack you. It's people, and the Constitution hasn't changed and will never change as long as I have a breath to give. My loyalty is absolute, and I will not turn my back on the fallen. With respect to the Chinese calls, I routinely communicated with my counterpart, General Lee, with the knowledge and coordination of civilian oversight. I am specifically directed to communicate with the Chinese by Department of Defense guidance, the policy dialogue system. These military-to-military -military communications at the highest level are critical to the security of the United States in order to deconflict military actions, manage crisis, and present, prevent war between great powers that are armed with the world's most deadliest weapons. The calls on 30 October and 8 January were coordinated before and after with Secretary Esper and Acting Secretary Miller's staffs and the interagency. The specific purpose of the October and January calls were to generate or were generated by concerning intelligence, which caused us to believe the Chinese were worried about an attack on them by the United States. I know, I am certain, that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese. And it is my directed responsibility, and it was my directed responsibility by the Secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese. 
My task at that time was to de-escalate. My message again was consistent. Stay calm, steady, and de-escalate. We are not going to attack you. It's people, and the Constitution hasn't changed and will never change as long as I have a breath to give. My loyalty is absolute, and I will not turn my back on the fallen. With respect to the Chinese calls, I routinely communicated with my counterpart, General Lee, with the knowledge and coordination of civilian oversight. I am specifically directed to communicate with the Chinese by Department of Defense guidance, the policy dialogue system. These military-to-military -military communications at the highest level are critical to the security of the United States in order to deconflict military actions, manage crisis, and present, prevent war between great powers that are armed with the world's most deadliest weapons. The calls on 30 October and 8 January were coordinated before and after with Secretary Esper and Acting Secretary Miller's staffs and the interagency. The specific purpose of the October and January calls were to generate or were generated by concerning intelligence, which caused us to believe the Chinese were worried about an attack on them by the United States. I know, I am certain that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese, and it is my directed responsibility, and it was my directed responsibility by the Secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese. My task at that time was to de-escalate. My message again was consistent. Stay calm, steady, and de-escalate. We are not going to attack you. And the Constitution hasn't changed and will never change as long as I have a breath to give. My loyalty is absolute, and I will not turn my back on the fallen. With respect to the Chinese calls, I routinely communicated with my counterpart, General Lee, with the knowledge and coordination of civilian oversight. I am specifically directed to communicate with the Chinese by Department of Defense guidance, the policy dialogue system. These military-to-military -military communications at the highest level are critical to the security of the United States in order to deconflict military actions, manage crisis, and present, prevent war between great powers that are armed with the world's most deadliest weapons. The calls on 30 October and 8 January were coordinated before and after with Secretary Esper and Acting Secretary Miller's staffs and the interagency. The specific purpose of the October and January calls were to generate or were generated by concerning intelligence, which caused us to believe the Chinese were worried about an attack on them by the United States. I know, I am certain, that President Trump did not intend to attack the Chinese, and it is my directed responsibility, and it was my directed responsibility by the Secretary to convey that intent to the Chinese. My task at that time was to de-escalate. My message again was consistent. Stay calm, steady, and de-escalate. We are not going to attack you.
oh yeah, I shaved my beard off. <laughs> so for those who are seeing me, you're like, what the hell? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go full beard so I can get rid of the goatee. But I want us to remember, this is the guy, white rage, all Trump supporters are Nazis. Yeah, this is the guy. And now he's trying to bust throw Biden and play it off. Foreign affairs, white conservatives turned on the military. No, they didn't. Most of the military consists of conservatives, you jackholes. Visibly uncomfortable General Milley and McKenzie refused to call Joe Biden's apparent lie about Afghanistan withdrawal a false statement. I want to remember, he was all in against Trump. Trump was a piece of fucking shit. How he acted now is how he should have acted with Trump. You're a fucking soldier. You don't have politics. You don't get to pick sides. There are no sides. Sam Stein calls out President Biden for lying about the Afghan withdrawal because he did. So that's a surprise because that guy's a douche. Caitlin Collins. General Milley says yes. He spoke to several authors for his books, including Bob Woodward. I haven't read any of the books, he adds. Everybody did it in. He read the books. Homework. Millie tells Marshall Blackburn he talked to Woodward, but didn't read any of their books. Promise he will, and we'll get back to whether it's accurate portrayal. I can't remember a chairman of Joint Chiefs so actively courting the media and being a source for multiple books while serving as chairman. The military would be better served by having a chairman who stops playing the Washington political media game and focuses on the job. Morgan Orchidus. General Milley contradicts his earlier testimony on Afghanistan withdrawal and calls it a logistical success, but a strategic failure. General Milley defends his controversial call with China. Played it all. China. But Trump, Jim Scudo, Rob Sims. So at what point does the media start referring to President Biden being a liar? Stephen L. Miller. Yes, Joe Biden lied. So this is where the press goes to 11 on how dare he write. Fusilli Spock, Biden caught in a bold-faced lie and the media won't say a word. Jim Scudo, contradicting Trump and supporters who say he's, he'd have done differently or better, Milley confirms he received an order in 2020 withdrawal. More after the further discussion regarding the risks associated with such a withdrawal, the order was rescinded on November 17, was received an order to reduce troop levels to 2,400, 2,500. That's when you know CNN's not a news a news source. When you're trying to say Trump's orders that didn't matter and didn't happen. Yeah, but Trump, this guy has changed everything Trump did. He's destroyed everything. Every policy, every regulation. Get the fuck out of here. CENTCOM Commander General McKenzie testifies under oath that he warned Joe Biden. Media dropped this. That's why I'm covering it. Mark Milley, Mark, Mark Milley, not sure keeping Bagram Airfield open would have helped Afghan Air Force. Every person, you don't have to be a tactician to understand, Bagram was the key. We gave it up. Glenn Kessler, here's the rest of the answer that was snipped from the RNC slit clip, presumably because it suggests he was answering a question about whether advisors said the situation would stay stable for 2,500 troops. We still haven't rescinded that. It's a lie. It's just a lie. It's a complete lie. New York Times. And it goes right with this. Among those who went in January 6th, FBI informants. It's all a lie. Everything is a lie. 
they will spin and do whatever they can to help Biden. Anything. It just seems like you're chronically bad at this, Matt Getz. He's right. Jim Scudo again. If when a constitutional crisis comes, we won't have lacked for warning for people to despair it as Liz Cheney and Hillary Clinton. <laughs> yeah, Liz Cheney's a good person now. She was a piece of shit. Okay. Matt Dowd, who's running for office now as a Democrat. Oh, surprise. Just released. I'm calling for a national moment of never forget January 6th at noon, January 6th, 2022. Because they're still trying to hold on to it. Oh, by the way, the New York Times redesigned the American flag and it looks like garbage fire. But I end on Byron York's daily memo. If you did not read it, Millie Dishing, I suggest you read it. It is spot on. It's spot on. The guy is not worthy of the position he holds. He is a piece of of fucking shit. But that's not how CNN scored it. Testimony from President Biden's top military leaders calls into question some claims made by President Biden in interviews. In August, Biden said that none of his military leadership recommended keeping a small force in the country after withdrawal. And then in the same sentence, he also said it was split. But his military advisors saying that's not the case. They wanted you to keep about 2,500 troops. No, they didn't. It was split. That, that wasn't true. That wasn't true. They didn't tell you that they wanted troops to stay? No, not, at, not in terms of whether we were going to get out in a time frame, all troops. They didn't argue against that. I recommended that we maintain 2,500 troops in Afghanistan. General Milley, I assume you agree with that in terms of the recommendation of 2,500? I do agree with that. Joining us now, CNN Senior Global Affairs Analyst Bianca Goldriga and Rena Ninen, host of the Recount Daily podcast and founder of Good Trouble Productions. Um, Bianca, look, the, the White House claims, if you listen to the full totality of what Joe Biden, the president, told George Stephanopoulos, the generals didn't contradict him there. But the bottom line is President Biden left the impression that the military wasn't telling him that it wanted to leave U.S. troops there, small force, and clearly it did. Listen, it was a known goal on President Biden's part. We all heard him say that he wasn't told to his recollection. So either he doesn't recall, which raises a whole other issue, or he was told and he misspoke. And it put the generals in a really awkward position yesterday as they were under oath. And it didn't take a tell-all book or even their testimony yesterday to reveal what we had known throughout the media over the course of the last few months. That they, in fact, many of them had been asking and suggesting that at least 2,500 troops remain. So this was an unnecessary position to put these men in. And we know that this is a, an issue and a recommendation that they had made to the president directly. And, and the point is, is this the president's decision to make for better or for worse? Right. Or for Which is worse all he had to say. Or for better. Right. Rena, I mean, it's the president's decision to make. And we know how Joe Biden feels about this and has always felt about it. You're absolutely right. We know where the president stood on this issue. But also to hear them say, you know, for us to go back in at this point, go back on September 1st, would have taken thousands more and the number of countless Americans that would have been killed in this. Was it worth it at this point when, as you mentioned, John, the president knew he was getting up? Which transitioned nicely into the polls. 
Response to COVID, 50% disapprove. Handling accounting, 55% disapprove. Performance Commander-in-Chief, 58 disapprove. Taxes, 54%. Foreign policy, 58%. Immigration, 67%. Mexican border, 67%. Cares about the average American. Half say no, is honest, half say no, is good leader, 56% no, no, is competent and run the government, 55% no, 72% are dissatisfied with the economy. That was weighted eight points lib. And other than Jake Tapper, which you'll see on the end of this, the majority are gaslighting. Dozens of House progressives are saying, no, they're not going to vote for your infrastructure deal until you support uh, what we're talking about here, the, the overall budget bill, which has a lot of the president's agenda, a lot of Democrats' agenda in it. By digging in your heels on this, aren't you dooming your own infrastructure bill? Who's digging in the heels here? Your fellow Democrat, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, said this about you in a tweet. Manchin has weekly huddles with Exxon and is one of many senators who gives lobbyists their pen to write so-called bipartisan fossil fuels bills. It's killing people. Sick of this bipartisan corruption that masquerades as clear-eyed moderation. That's this is your fellow Democrat. Well, is it true that you have weekly meetings with Exxon not. and other absolutely lobbyists not. You for fossil fuels? No, they don't. Weekly meetings? I don't. It's just false. I, I keep my door open for everybody. It's totally false. And. Those type of superlatives, it's just awful. Continue to divide, divide, divide. I don't know the young lady that well. I really don't. I've met her one time, I think, between sets here, but that's it. So we have not had any conversations. She's just speculating and saying things because she wants to. She's not the only one. I'm sure you've heard. There are a number of your fellow Democrats who say that you're opposed to this because you're bought and paid for by I'm opposed corporate to it because donors. It makes no sense at all. I just gave you the facts. Three and a half trillion is agreed to by 49 Everybody's other... Looking at numbers. I understand that. Everybody's looking at numbers. Are you going to be the lone vote against President Biden's well, agenda? Well, I don't think that I am the lone vote, and I think right. you know that, too. Uh, right, but would you be willing to be the lone vote? Here's a tweet last night from Senator Bernie Sanders. It's coming up on the program next. We're not going to build bridges just so our sure. people can live under them. No infrastructure bill without the $3.5 trillion reconciliation. Hi there. I'm Stephanie Rule. It is Thursday, July 15th. A good day to check your accounts. Because for millions and millions of American families, there is some brand new money in the bank. I'm talking about the new expanded child tax credit payments from the government. Moms and dads getting hundreds, in some cases thousands of dollars, for their families. President Biden getting a great opportunity to show that his administration is providing real help to Americans who need it. But there is a lot more where that came from, potentially, as we speak. Democrats have packed $3.5 trillion with a T dollars worth of help into what would be the single biggest and most expensive bill ever passed through Congress if, and that's a big if, they can get it passed. I want to bring in some experts on all of this. NBC's Mike Memoli at the White House, Leanne Caldwell on Capitol Hill, and Politico's White House correspondent Eugene Daniels, co-author of the Politico Playbook. Leanne, let's start with you. This is the kind of spending bill that could break record records. It has the child tax credit. It has free pre-K. It has expanded Medicare benefits, clean energy. It is the Barbie dream house of improvements to the human condition we all want to live in that Barbie dream house, but how? Then there are labels like 3.5 trillion. All these huge numbers get thrown around. It could be incredibly misleading. 
We know there are multiple bills encompassing dozens of policy proposals, but there's not a single clear name or abbreviation like Obamacare or a sense uh, of, of um, what this moment in time will be called. And there are countless headlines about the personal political drama. I think if you're an insider, you probably think all the news coverage has been, has been really helpful. Uh, you probably are totally up to speed. But for everyone else, I fear it's indecipherable and almost impenetrable. So what can we do better? With me now is Catherine Rempel, Washington Post opinion columnist and CNN economic and political commentator, and Josh Marshall, founder and editor-in-chief of Talking Points Memo. I've seen you both sharing your media critiques on Twitter. Let's bring those on to television now. Catherine, you first. What is the, the one biggest thing you would change about the coverage of these budget battles if you could change anything right now? So there are so many things, but I think my number one priority would be more discussion of what's actually in the bill, as opposed to this top line figure, which itself is misleading, of $3.5 trillion. Uh, there are good ways to spend uh, a huge sum of money. There are bad ways to spend a huge sum of money. But the kind of media coverage that we've been getting doesn't really explore whether the, you know, the kinds of things that are in this bill are, are meritorious or not. I'd love to see more people commenting about, should we invest in childcare this way or paid leave that way or in climate? Instead, right. it's about the number. And why is the number misleading? Why is that 3.5 trillion figure misleading? because it doesn't really represent anything. Um, it's this weird shorthand that's been used, but in fact, the bill itself will not cost $3.5 trillion in the sense that it will be entirely or at least partly paid for. So the actual cost in terms of deficits will be smaller than that, perhaps even zero, although I think that's unlikely. And it's not even um, you know, fully spending. It's not really right to call it a $3.5 trillion spending bill because there's probably about a trillion dollars of tax cuts in it too. So oh. it's really hard to boil down the essence of what this legislation is because it does so many things and because, um, you know, they're, they're still negotiating over the basic parameters. Yeah. Victoria DeFrancesco Soto, uh, the president's approval rating taking a bit of a hit. What do you think the way forward is for Democrats here? I think it's focusing on everyday Americans, those Americans who are not paying attention to Congress minute by minute. And I think going back to this debt limit discussion, the result of defaulting would be catastrophic for folks, folks who live paycheck to paycheck, folks in the top 1%, top 10%, who don't necessarily need to depend on that. It's not going to affect them. So I think the president, by highlighting the effect, is winning with the public and also politically being able to gain points in pushing Republicans forward. Democrats hoping to pass the massive spending plan by the end of October with President Biden in need of a boost now. A new poll showing his approval rating dropping to 38%, the lowest level of his presidency yet. Meanwhile, all of this happening while here at the White House, they're looking at new poll numbers that show the president's approval rating sitting at 38%. The low President Biden's agenda is still stalled. Meantime, his approval rating is deep underwater. Today, his lowest job performance score yet. 38% approving, 53% disapproving in a Quinnipiac poll on coronavirus, the economy, foreign policy, immigration, and his role as commander-in-chief, negative scores in the double digits. Among independents, a 60% disapproval overall, a stark measure of how incumbents in the swing states could fare in the midterms. One Democrat seeking office right now indicated on a campaign Zoom, the president is more of a liability than an asset. President 
is unpopular today, unfortunately, here in Virginia. So we have got to plow through. Breaking tonight, President Biden's legislative agenda hangs in the balance on Capitol Hill. And even as a debt ceiling deal to punt a potential showdown until December seems imminent, new polling tonight indicates all Americans of all different stripes are losing faith in the president, according to the polls, giving him his lowest approval rating of his almost nine months in office. While Democrats in recent polls have given the president a lot of slack, independents have shifted dramatically to disapproving of the job he's doing. One of the areas of disappointment is his handling of the coronavirus pandemic, but he's most underwater in the latest polls on the issue of border security and immigration. This day trip comes as the president's poll numbers have turned upside down on two issues once considered by Biden world to be winners, COVID, where he's now got a 48% approval rating, and the economy, where he's got a 39% approval rating. These new poll numbers, frankly, are brutal for the president. In this brand new Quinnipiac poll, only 38% of Americans approve of how Biden is handling his job compared to 53% who disapprove. That's the lowest approval rating Biden has had since taking office. Another striking number, only 39% of Americans approve of Biden's handling of the economy. 55% say they disapprove of the job he's doing on the economy. When asked, is Joe Biden an honest president? 44% of Americans say yes. 50% of plurality say no. And one of the most damning results of all, more than half of the American people, 55%, say the Biden administration is not competent in running the government. 42% says the administration is. To put it in perspective, this is Trump level. This is what Trump had. Bill Magoon and New Quinnipiac Piac poll, President Biden's approval rating drops 38%, the lowest of his presidency, and his lowest marks come at the border. 23% approve of the border. 25% approve of immigration. 500,000 dispersed and 400,000 known got away in the first nine months. Annualized, this is 1.2 million. This is more than the population in nine states in the country. Ron Johnson. POTUS created this mess. It's a policy-driven humanitarian crisis. Nobody fucking likes it. But, but they don't care. I mean, we're not even talking about crime. Arlington Shooter, I have a couple bits I want to play for crime. Later in the show, literally, they're released the next day, are not even charged. CNN, with vaccination rates only inching forward slowly, the federal government is trying a new marketing tactic. Fear. On the bottom, CDC, COVID has killed parents or grandparents of 140,000 U.S. kids. Because they're still trying to make it work. They're still trying to build back better, and you can't build back better. But you saw, you saw fucking Millie. He didn't have a mask on. Quinny Peniak claimed Lindsey Graham was tied in his sentence rate. She won by 10, and the Collins would lose by 12. She won by 9. For them to give must, these apocalyptic numbers for Biden means they must be somehow far, far worse. Molly Hemingway. More Americans have died of COVID now. 353,000 COVID deaths of reporters since January 1st compared to 352,000 
in the first 10 months of the pandemic. Uh, well, the guy who got the most votes ever. This is how he's greeted and how he just blows it off because he's an arrogant prick. What, notwithstanding some of the signs that I saw come, that's why 81 million Americans voted for me. The largest number of votes in American history. A clear majority were supported when they supported me. These requirements work. And as the Business Roundtable and others told me when I announced the first requirement, that encouraged businesses to feel they could come in and demand the same thing of their employees. More people are getting vaccinated. More lives are being saved. Let's be clear. When you see headlines and reports of mass firings and hundreds of people losing their jobs, look at the bigger story. I've spoken with Scott Kirby, CEO of United Airlines, who's here today. United went from 59% of their employees to 99% of their employees in less than two months after implementing the requirement. 99%. The largest number that we've ever stolen. How do you say that with these poll numbers? How do you not go this erection, this erection, this election literally was job by the media, job by everything. They even admitted it in times, how we fortified the election. Larry Sabato, working feverishly together, the White House and Democrats of Congress with critical help from the GOP have managed to bring President Biden's rating down to a dismissal 38% job approval, 53% disapproved. Biden's ratings are now underwater in every category. So the president isn't a factor. Not to these people. WAPO. Stop focusing on the negative. Biden and Harris have gotten things done. This is why we have no media. Obama was the most scandal-free president ever. Do we remember that? Nothing ever went wrong. He killed Osama bin Laden, you motherfucking racist. Dollar Tree is changing their name because they can't afford dollar. They can't afford it anymore. And then you got Miss Thing saying shit like this. In Cops Summit here, yeah. do you worry that this could impact the pledges that countries are willing to make? Will other governments get weak need about going green at a time when they're facing brewing sort of political crises at home over really skyrocketing prices of non-renewable fuel sources? We certainly hope not. I mean, I think what COP26 is about is to continue the, con the conversation uh, on the international stage at the leader level uh, that has been going on below the leader level continuously, basically, about our need to work together to address the climate crisis. Uh, one of the greatest national security crises, the presidencies, a number of other world leaders agree on that front. Certainly, we all want to keep gasoline prices low, uh, but uh, the threat of the crisis, uh, the climate crisis, certainly can't wait any longer. Thank you. Uh, go ahead. Thank you. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, on the, um, you sound pretty lukewarm about the McConnell idea. Uh Remember, I said it for years. They think they're smarter than you. They know everything. 
You're a fucking idiot. They know what's best. You just shut your fucking mouth. Nick Short, Americans give Biden his lowest marks across the board. Majority say Biden administration is not competent. In this week's episode of Unfiltered, S.E. Cup argues that President Joe Biden is failing to address the biggest threat facing democracy, neutralizing Donald Trump. And that's what it is. They think they can keep going to that well and say Donald Trump. I mean, tell me what's wrong with this image. Every night I wish upon a starfish that I can go back in person. Nine-year-old Reefy Kinder has been learning virtually for almost two years. I miss socializing with my friends. Just being nine years old and hanging out with your buddies. Yes. Reefy had 30 surgeries over six years, leaving her immunocompromised. Her parents and doctor decided not to send her to school in person this year because there's no mask mandate in their county. It was too dangerous, if you ask me, for the other kids to go in without masks, let alone a child who's immune compromised. The Kinders and 10 other families are part of a federal lawsuit against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the State Department of Education, and several school districts. It alleges an executive order from DeSantis banning mask mandates violates the Americans with Disabilities Act. School should be safe for all of the population, not just the people that believe in the governor at the time. A new state rule also lets families decide whether or not to send their child to school after being exposed to COVID-19. Anyone that may have been in contact uh, without symptoms uh, you know, should be able to stay in school. They can be monitored. The parents can be notified that there may have been a case. The parents you know, have a right to have their healthy kids in school. Immunocompromised is immunocompromised. Pediatrician Candace Jones says, Kids like Reefy need multiple layers of protection against COVID. We need to do everything, hand hygiene, mask, social distancing, ventilation, all of those things. For Reefy, that means staying home until there's a mask mandate or she can get a vaccine. We want a decision or a vaccine. This is the hypocrisy we're talking about. Normal Americans are sick of the media and the Democrats talking down to us, telling us we're all fucking morons, we don't know anything doing hits about masking while nobody's masked. How many times have we seen the anointed, the important people, the the fucking really, really are betters literally walking around mask-free or going to the French laundry and, and we're fine. No big deal. Nobody cares. Nobody even thinks about it. But while all this is going on, the world's falling apart. I'm going to play Brian Seltzer, what he was covering this week. And then Tucker Carlson. You'll probably hear a lot about Fox News this week. The network is turning 25 and running lots of commercials celebrating its birthday. But you won't hear any honest assessment of Fox on Fox of how the network has changed America. So let's size it up for a minute before we go. Fox wasn't always the political beast it is today. As the first co-host of the morning show that became Fox and Friends told me from my book hoax, it was not very political at all. I was not very political and neither was the show back then. It was pop culture sprinkled with the day's news. But the network evolved or devolved into the beating heart of the GOP, a heart with clogged arteries and weak muscles. It's the network that brought us inspirational stories about the military in middle America, but also smothering patriotism after 9-11, 
and a portrayal of the USA that seems stuck in a time warp. Fox is the network that brought us Megyn Kelly and Jesse Waters and Greg Gutfeld and Tommy Lahren and Shep Smith narrating a llama chase. I mean, that was fun. I'll never forget the llamas. But for all the fun, there's also so much darkness in Fox's history. You won't see Roger Ailes in the retrospectives, but his abuse of women, his leg cam, his paranoia, his rage, it's what translated into the network that exists today. Full of rage, anger, it's the white lash on TV, although often delivered with a smile. Ailes also brought us Donald Trump. Executives might say they're merely holding a mirror up to America's divisions, but the political science research is clear. Fox is not just a mirror, it's an accelerant. There's a new book coming out about this on Tuesday. It's called The Brainwashing of My Dad, and it's about exactly what you think. For the families who feel like they've been torn apart by Fox, this week is not a happy anniversary. All right, that's all for this televised edition of Reliable Sources. We'll see you back here this time. Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson. Tonight, if you lived in this country 15 years ago and you've got a good memory, you may remember the creation of something called the National Security Division at the Department of Justice. It was created back in 2005 when they re-upped the Patriot Act. Now, the point of the National Security Division, we were told at the time, was to conduct, quote, counterterrorism and counterespionage operations against foreign adversaries. This was the big stuff. Mostly it was Islamic terror, which was the primary threat of that time. But these are also the people in charge of busting Chinese spies who are trying to steal our nuclear secrets, stopping suicide bombers and hijackings. Not small stuff, crimes that threaten the nation. That was then. Then Joe Biden became president in January. And the entire mission of the United States government changed and turned inward against you. A few days ago, the Department of Justice, under the radical Attorney General Merrick Garland, announced that the National Security Division has a new domestic mission. According to Garland, effective immediately, the National Security Division is handling the investigation of, quote, harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence against school board members, teachers, and workers in our nation's public schools, end quote. So the question is, who is threatening these teachers and school board members? Is it Al-Qaeda? Is it the Russian government? Is it ISIS-K? No, it's parents. Parents are angry about what's happening in schools. Why are they angry? Well, take a close look at the people Joe Biden has nominated to senior leadership positions in the Department of Education. Take a look at YouTube videos, while they still exist, of some of the school board meetings across the country over the past year. And you will know exactly why parents are mad. Parents who believe in things like biological sex, who oppose racial hierarchies imposed in pre-kindergarten classrooms, teaching kids to hate their parents. Those are the threat, according to the Biden administration. You'll notice if you look closely that nowhere in Merrick Garland's recent order or the DOJ's press release is any explanation of these, quote, threats of violence. What threats of violence? Has violence occurred at school board meetings? No. Look closer and you'll find this line, quote, the Justice Department will also create specialized training and guidance that will help school board members understand the type of behavior that constitutes threats. Oh, so it's a propaganda operation funded by you out of the Department of So-Called Justice, designed to tell teachers and school board members that when parents complain, it's domestic terrorism. It's not the First Amendment in progress. It's not your constituents voicing legitimate complaints. It's effectively a foreign adversary trying to kill you. 
The Biden administration is trying to convince school board members using the Department of Justice that they are in physical danger from parents. And those parents are national security threats. Once again, nothing like this has ever happened in this country. This is an utter perversion of the mission and the power of the United States Department of Justice. It is almost impossible to overstate how sinister and crazy this is. We almost never play the equivalence game because it's tiresome, but in this case, it's hard to resist. Imagine if Donald Trump's DOJ anchors as domestic terrorists put it in writing and then told men with guns to enforce the law. How would that go over? We, for one, would be outraged by that. All decent Americans would. And it would, in fact, be less of a stretch than this order. A lot of CNN anchors made excuses for violence during the riots last year. But the media aren't upset about this. When powerless suburban parents resist having nihilistic ruling class ideologies imposed by force on their children, our media seem to believe it is perfectly fine to designate them terrorists and threaten them with firearms. In a version of America where school board meetings have become the new culture war battlegrounds with children caught in the crosshairs, sometimes literally and sometimes figuratively. Right now, everyone from the Proud Boys to the Oath Keepers to QAnon influencers are trying to encourage their, their members, their followers, their maniacs to show up at school board hearings. Some behavior is so bad, it's being compared to domestic terrorism. This becomes a security crisis in a sense for the nation. How one Republican senator is pretending school board harassment and intimidation aren't off the charts. Similar tactics to what happened on January 6th that now are being turned against school boards nationwide in a trend that's really disturbing and sinister. Conservatives manufactured outrage over masks and history lessons, took our school boards high like a bunch of screaming maniacs. So the federal government has designated American parents who are unhappy with the education their children are receiving as domestic terrorists, and the media are defending it. This is so shameful, it's hard to describe. The entire point of a free press is to protect the weak from the strong. But as usual, and more flagrantly every day, our media does exactly the opposite. They slobber over billionaires. They defend the powerful. They call you a bigot if you challenge George Soros. And on the other hand, they clap like seals as working class people go to jail for thought crimes. They're trying to pretend that's not what they're doing, that they're not sucking up to power, that they're not the Praetorian Guard for the Biden administration, but they are. They're telling you this is about domestic terrorism. They're repeating Merrick Garland's own words. It has nothing to do with freedom of speech. On MSNBC this week, the daughter of United States Senator, that would be Robert Menendez of New Jersey, one of the Biden administration's closest allies in the Senate, promised that she would air definitive proof that parents who dare to challenge the orthodoxies of the Joe Biden administration are in fact a grave threat to national security. She would show us proof that the National Security Division needs to investigate these parents, treat them like criminals, for daring to speak up at their own school board meetings before members of the school board they elected to run schools they pay for, that educate their children. Here's the evidence she presented. Frank, I want to play some more sound of these school board meetings. So we can get a of just some of them are getting. Take a listen. Don't put masks on our kids anymore, because I'm telling you what, I'm a mom who's fearless, and I will come after you. You're allowing child abuse. You're allowing child abuse. You're allowing child abuse. You're allowing child abuse. 
suffering, things have become so scary at these meetings that the organization representing school boards across the country is asking the federal government to help, arguing that the classification of these actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism. So mothers stand up before a school board, which is their constitutional right, in fact, their duty as parents, to say that they believe, based on a lot of scientific evidence, that their children are being hurt by a policy that makes no sense. Imagine looking at that tape and blaming the moms and suggesting that their behavior is, quote, scary and they're terrorists and the FBI should show up at their house and hassle them like they're Al-Qaeda or ISIS-K, assuming that even exists. What do they say? Don't put masks on our kids anymore. It's child abuse. Well, actually, that's true. And anyone who's looked at the data knows that it's true. Belgian pediatricians, for example, in the Belgian Academy for Medicine, not a third world country, just issued this assessment of masks in school. Here it is, quote, testing children, imposing mouth masks and quarantines go against the principle of first do no harm, which is included in the Hippocratic Oath that doctors took. These drastic actions do much more damage to the children in the short and long term than going through the COVID infection itself, end quote. Now, that's not some angry mom from Laguna Beach. Those are physicians saying that. And if you look around, and you should, you will not find a single scientific study anywhere in the world that fundamentally contradicts that assessment. There is no science, none, behind these mask mandates for children. In fact, just days ago, Joe Biden's Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, tried to cite a study to back the administration's forced masking of children, which is a total outrage. And when he used this study to justify a political decision, the senior author of the study, Tracy Hogue, said Cardona had no idea what he was talking about and it completely misrepresented her research, which, by the way, had no control group. So by definition, doesn't prove anything. But don't bother. Don't even bother getting rational on this subject. If you dare to cite scientific conclusions, you are a domestic extremist and the media will demand that you be investigated by the FBI. And they're justifying this in exactly the same way that the Chinese government explained away murders it committed in Tiananmen Square. They're accusing people who have been completely wronged by the government of undermining domestic stability by complaining about it. What used to be called legitimate civic disagreement is now a threat to the nation. Is this really about people being upset about mask mandates or are there sort of underlying disruptive forces, white nationalists, uh, anarchists, whatever in this country that are using mask mandates and a public health crisis to sort of wage, uh, wage chaos? Get that moron off television. That's hurting the country. I mean, come on. They're racist now. They're racist because they don't want their kids to be masked. Imagine saying something like that. There are underlying forces at work. Secret forces you can't see must be QAnon or white supremacists. There are no organized white supremacist forces in this country. We have a lot of problems. That's not one of them. The point is, we don't like their politics. Therefore, they don't deserve civil liberties. That's what they're saying. That's what they believe. You have to wonder if any of these people have ever seen a school board meeting or if they're just repeating what they're told. It's not the parents who were causing chaos. They didn't start this. They had a totally ordinary and justified expectation that their kids would be educated as kids have been educated in this country for more than 100 years in public schools. The schools themselves changed and parents slowly woke up to this fact. Their kids are being taught racism in schools. They're being hurt. What the hell are you doing? So parents go to meetings to voice objections to teachers who are advocating racial segregation and book burning, and they're doing it on camera. 
They're not doing it in secret. They're not plotting. This isn't the QAnon army. These are just normal Americans. Here's tape from Virginia back in May. It's funny how they are so afraid of their children seeing another view of sexuality, gender, or religion. If you want to talk about books that are assigned, let's read To Kill a Mockingbird together. If you aren't willing to consider the racial trauma this assigned book causes black children with its white savior, saviorism, then you have no business discussing any books. Well, exactly. If you're telling kids that Dr. Seuss and To Kill a Mockingbird, both of which are explicitly anti-racist and were before that was even a term thought up by some grifter at Boston University, if you really believe that, you're a lunatic. And let's just say that out loud, you're a lunatic. And if you're complaining about it, you're not the one waging chaos. Look around on cable news and you won't find anybody explaining what's actually going on. Instead, you'll find people like Nicole Wallace barking about how people who don't agree with her don't deserve civil liberties. We almost never use her name on the air. Nicole Wallace is the physical embodiment of virtually everything that's wrong with this country. She is, in a word, loathsome. But let's be completely honest. If the federal government ever decided and then declared publicly that Nicole Wallace was a terrorist for her political opinions, we would unhesitatingly leap to her defense with maximum vehemence. We would do it instantly and we wouldn't stop because we believe in civil liberties. Would she do the same for us? Of course not. If the entire staff of this show is arrested tomorrow for our beliefs, Nicole Wallace would celebrate. And that's the difference. We believe in civil liberties and they don't. How can you tell? Has Nicole Wallace or anyone else at MSNBC said a single word about the federal government spying on people's Google searches? That's happening. Accidentally, the feds just unsealed court documents showing that the DOJ under Joe Biden has been obtaining sensitive private information from any American who typed in certain keywords into a Google search. A Minnesota judge, for example, recently approved a secret warrant requiring Google to provide tracking information on, quote, any user within the city of Edina, Minnesota, who searched a fraud victim's name. Oh, is it a stretch to think that this could be extended to ideological crimes, which are the crimes the Biden administration really cares about? No, it's not a stretch at all. In fact, of course, it's happening. And no one on television even mentions it because they think you deserve it, because they don't think you have civil liberties, because they don't believe in God. Therefore, they don't think you got those rights from God. They thought you got them from the government and they could be taken away because you've been naughty. And so they applaud when they're taken away. Google collects an awful lot of tracking information on its users, including their names, home addresses, browsing history, going back decades. So that's a story you would expect a lot of people on the left would be concerned about. If it was 20 years ago, they would be. The ACLU would be all over it. It's proof, once again, that the government has too much surveillance power over American citizens, and they are abusing this to spy on Americans who've done nothing wrong. But not one of the national security experts, so-called in MSNBC or CNN, will even mention it. Why is that? Because their job isn't to protect you or civil liberties, but to protect the party in power. That could be why they're not telling you anything about Marilyn Garland's personal stake, the attorney general's personal stake in persecuting people who challenge the insanity we're seeing in school boards across the country. It turns out Merrick Garland's daughter is married to a man who is the co-founder of an education service company called Panorama Education, which you will not be surprised to learn provides materials on critical race theory to school districts, including dismantling, quote, unconscious bias and systemic racism in schools. Oh, so the thing that parents are complaining about 
is the thing that Merrick Garland's family is getting rich from. Two days ago, Merrick Garland just made it a crime to complain about the beliefs that are enriching his family. Does that make sense? You should know that this specific company has raised a ton of money from Mark Zuckerberg's foundation. Fairfax County Public Schools just signed a $1.8 million contract with Panorama to conduct a multi-year social learning It leads perfectly in to our next segment, which is the DOJ, because this is what it's about. You're evil because you say they're fucked up. You don't have a right. They're better than you. They know everything. What the fuck is wrong with you? Why can't you just listen to your betters and do as thou is told? Do it. Shut your fucking mouth. Who are you to speak? You're a nobody. You're just a fucking nobody. They literally said this was okay. Uh, Mr. President, just watching, Mr. President, uh, you're talking about how you have 48 Democratic votes right now. The other two uh, have been pressured over the weekend by activists. Joe Manchin had people on kayaks show up to his boat. P.L. Adam, Senator Sinema last night was chased into a restroom. Do you think that those tactics are crossing a line? I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. From the, <laughs> the only people it doesn't happen to are people who have Secret Service standing around them. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's part of the process. One of those moderate senators still not on board, Arizona's Kirsten Cinema, who was followed this weekend by progressive activists from a classroom where she teaches into a restroom where they continued to confront her and record her even as she went into a bathroom stall. Cinema responded that those protesters violated school security and students' privacy, writing, this is wholly inappropriate. Asked about protesters' conduct, the president said, I don't think they're appropriate tactics, but it happens to everybody. She's a fucking Democrat. And where do we go with all this Me Too shit and you can't do this? Anna Cardone, Car Navarro Cardones. Chasing anybody public or private into a bathroom to me is beyond the pale. Maybe if Chris Sinema spent less time in fundraisers with corporate donors and held down halls to listen to constituents and answer the questions, they wouldn't chase her. And y'all talk about Trump's lack of decency. So she brought it on herself. Jim Garrity. 
Remember how in early 2019, former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz flirted with an independent bid for the presidency and instantly the Stephen Colbert and the world started joking about how terrible Starbucks was? Lots of big culture figures have never had second thought about Schultz suddenly had extremely strong opinions of him and concluded that he was terrible, blah, 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 and it goes on. There's cinema. John Hayward. But is one of the magic words that enables totalitarianism. It's wrong to harass women, but if they vote the wrong way, it's understandable. I mean, the president, I'm going to bring back decency. We are going to have the adults back in the rule. We're going to believe in science and shit. Yeah, I don't see any fucking science. Ah, these freaking people. These freaking people. They're just pathetic. They're just a bunch of goddamn hypocrites. Every totalitarian regime in history has justified its abuse by claiming its victims were enemies of the people. And that's this whole DOJ thing. It's you. You don't agree with us. You're a piece of shit. I mean, Don Lemon this week said this, and then I'm going to play all the DOJ stuff really quick because it fits nicely into this. Well, you know, Facebook always says, well, you know, we we walk a line between, you know, letting people, you know, the free and fair flow of information. There are ways to do that. We figured out ways to do that. And most people in legacy media, not everybody in legacy media, because there are people and propaganda networks in legacy media that spread BS and don't face enough consequences. But I do think that social media, just like any other um, media company, especially legacy media and traditional media, there should be, they should, they should face some sort of consequences and they should be regulated. That's just, and at the very least, what you put on there should be true. And if it's not true, then it should be actionable. Don Lemon, thanks for getting up there. It's always great. <laughs> also for wearing this sweater. I is this, love is this his sweater. What call, I think it's called periwinkle. Is that what it is? Take your word for it. You should wear more sweater. I should Carmen. wear more periwinkle. I know. I knew you were headed there. All right, it's Don. a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We'll, we'll see you later. You can watch Don Lemon tonight in all colors at 10 p.m. Eastern time. This isn't about restricting your rights. It's about making sure that people do what they do right. I'll end with this. Go ahead. And this is a start for the social media companies. What is put on your platform, at the very least, should be true. Let's start there. What if it's an and opinion? Th- and then we go... It's, it should be true. You can have, opinion a, you can have opinions true. based in fact, okay? So at the very least, it should be true. And it should be based in some sort of fact. Beyond that, then we can, let's start at that base level, that baseline right there. And then we can go on with the rest of it. I think the baseline should be that you should know who uses your product. That's true. That, no, that should be the that, first I step. I agree. And you should know who is responding to you and who's putting it out there as well. So if someone says something about me, I should know that it's Joe Smith who lives in Wisconsin, and it shouldn't just be a bot. And somebody should be making a social media platform where everybody who is on it says who they are. You you can have a different screen name, but that everybody's registered so that they have to own it. In fact, I would like if people use their own names. Now, I get the chilling effect. I get that people can come after you for what you do. So you got to figure out the right way to do it and in the right place. But we can do a hell of a lot better than we're doing now. Love you. But we begin the readout tonight with Republican extremism. The party has long since surrendered any semblance of a soul that it once might have had to the pernicious influence of the anti-democratic and profligate spending former guy. And the carcass of the once grand old party has now zombified 
into an extremist force. And in states across the country, they're showcasing the rampant insanity that they'd inflict on the entire country if they could just only get the chance. Also, the disturbing reality of the white evangelical movement, why so many followers now believe the gospel of Trump and anti-vax and QAnon. As you can see, cinema is being a little cagey, which is wild, given the impact this legislation could have on millions of Americans, including in Arizona. And progressives in the House are getting a little bit sick and tired of Kirsten's diva act. I think for a lot of people who are observing this, it feels like Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin just want to bank the $1.2 trillion bill that they negotiated with an all-white conservative uh, set of friends. And you write in this brilliant timepiece, you know, about your own growing up as a, a white evangelical Christian and how it was all about personal morality, which in your view sort of crowded out having to care about other people. Is it that? Is it that people are coming up in a religious construct that says all that matters is if I sin, I personally uh, seek salvation and it's just about that and I don't have to really worry about my fellow man, the poor, the immigrant? It's no accident. Right, the theology is constructed this way because it's the only way that a worldview, you know, that can be simultaneously so concerned with personal sin and so indifferent to, and even uh, uh, actively working against equal rights for Black and Brown Americans. Fifty-nine percent of white and evangelicals say yes. They are the only group, religious group, per PRI polling, with a majority who believes immigrants are invading our country. This comes right out of the Klan. I mean, this is old white supremacist language. Is it merely the browning of the country? Yeah. Is that all it takes to send people into the arms of what used to be Klan thinking? It really is this idea uh, that America was designed to be and intended to be, violently ordained to be, a white Christian country, right? And that is so deeply in the DNA of many white Christians that as the country is changing, as it's, it's shifting, that really what we're seeing is this kind of psychic break and i mean really that's the reason i wrote the piece today that would, i think in many ways what we're if you look at those school board meetings where people just ranting about you know vaccines or critical race theory i mean this is so far uh from our, our you know marching with the, the christian flag alongside the confederate flag on our capital um i mean this is so far from the prince of peace uh turn the other cheek uh you know jesus of the new testament so this is what we're seeing is, is people it, it literally is a kind of psychic break uh and a, a kind of desperate flailing around. In fact, NPR reports today that the 12 months that followed Trump's notorious statement have overall been a period of growth for the Proud Boys. Well, tonight, the National School Board Association is taking extraordinary action, sending an SOS to the White House and law enforcement. Members have been berated at meetings and threatened online over COVID safety protocols. Here's CBS's Jeff Pegues. School board officials are calling for help tonight. Cowards. Writing to President Biden, the National School Boards Association asked for help investigating the violent incidents and suggested the FBI monitor threats to board members, likening these heinous actions to domestic terrorism. The impact of the pandemic on public schools is creating this, all this heightened rhetoric around the nation. And unfortunately, in some places, it's leading to threats and actual incidents of violence. Former Nevada school board member Kurt Thigpen said that he resigned after the constant harassment over email, phone, and social media made him think about suicide. He cited the January 6th insurrection as a trigger for the unruly behavior. 
Across the country, schools are facing increased violence and threats, stemming in part from people frustrated by mask and vaccine mandates. This morning, the National School Boards Association is calling for federal action, describing the attacks against staff and students as a new form of domestic terrorism. The group calling on the Biden administration to provide federal assistance to local law enforcement agencies to monitor and prevent future threats. The um, Attorney General's memorandum is focused on, on threats, on intimidation. So do you see parents as a threat? I, you I see don't. parents asking. But Assistant Attorney General Kristen Clark says public servants are under attack. She says the Justice Department stands by its recent memo directing the government to do more to protect school board members from what it sees as an escalating threat of violence. The government even wants people to report threats to the FBI's National Threat Operations Center, a group traditionally tasked with monitoring terror threats. Parents that are fighting back. Parents, including a former journalist turned activist, tell Fox they have no plans to stay quiet. All we want is to protect our kids because we are parents. We are mama bears and papa bears. We are not. Is there any prior connection between Callie and the three men she ID'd? None that I could see. Bill Kaminsky, an electrician from Erie, Pennsylvania. Proud boy. Evan Graham, proud boy's adjacent, also from Erie. The big fish was Milton Crabb, highly influential in the Three Percenters Militia Group. We have him here in custody. A lot of these guys are ex-military. Crabb served in Afghanistan and the Ohio National Guard. We trust these guys to keep us safe. Now they want to start a civil war and overthrow our government. Trained to kill and hiding in plain sight. And doing what all insurgents do after a setback. Reconstitute, recruit, rearm. If one of those three put a hit out on Cali, Crab's the top of my list. In a version of America where school board meetings have become the new culture war battlegrounds, with children caught in the crosshairs, sometimes literally and sometimes figuratively. Now, after the National School Boards Association had to ask the president for help investigating and stopping threats over policies like mask mandates. Attorney General Merrick Garland is stepping in, marshalling the FBI in response to what he called a, quote, disturbing spike in harassment, intimidation, and threats of violence. Garland directing federal authorities to hold strategy sessions in the next 30 days with law enforcement to confront the scourge. Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney and now law professor at the University of Alabama and an MSNBC legal analyst, is here. Lucky for us, Clint Watts is also back. Clint, I, I got to start with this. To me... This sort of rise in violence that we're seeing in schools, it's just a reflection of a rise in violence that we're seeing all over the country. We're seeing it in schools. We're seeing it in grocery stores. We're seeing it in, on airplanes. To me, is this really about people being upset about mask mandates or are there sort of underlying disruptive forces, white nationalists, uh, anarchists, whatever in this country that are using mask mandates and a public health crisis to sort of wage, uh, wage chaos? Uh, Jason, a year ago, I, I think we started talking about mobilizations to polling places, and primarily we were worried about local polling locations. And we did see sort of vigilante poll monitoring, you know, surface after the election. We saw people show up at, at election recounts, and that's only continued uh, for about 10 months now. And it really encapsulates every single issue. It is masks, it is vaccines, it's vaccine mandates. Uh, it, it is anything involving uh, the local level. And if I can say anything since January 6th is the protest and the mobilizations to violence have gone from national to local. It is and I'm old enough to remember where the only thing you really had to worry about in an academic environment was a mass shooter, uh, which is bad enough as it is. But speak a little bit to this idea of 
What does it mean that something that is generally boring and neutral, like a school board meeting, has become a locus for violence? How does that end up trickling down to what is and is not taught and possibly trickling up to higher level educators like yourself? Well, the focus that this brings to education is something that we're not used to having. I think you're absolutely right about that, Jason. And one has to wonder how this trickles out. Will school boards become far more careful, far more hesitant to do things that are brave and bold in terms of education initiatives? Right now, we're talking about issues that in involve school boards and how they're uh, competing in this new marketplace of ideas that exists after the Trump administration. But that could have far-reaching implications. It certainly has spun out in some areas with bans on teaching critical race theory which of course impacts the work that both you and I do and helps us understand how policy developed in the wake of American racism and what we can do to improve policy in the future as school boards are challenged, for instance, over issues of whether critical race theory can be taught in our schools. That too becomes a flashpoint. And I would add to what Clint says, uh, the fact that we're living in the middle of a perfect storm. We have not only this eruption, this not so much an eruption, but a normalization of some of the white supremacist ideology that we've seen emerging and some of the conspiracy theories that we've seen emerging. We Not okay. And uh, Kirsten Powers, she's at CNN, she said, uh, had this tweet. Which is worse, your grandparents being deported or being followed into a bathroom because you refuse to stop and listen? by people desperate for your help. This is not a trick question. Wow. Yeah, and then I think when people called her on this, she said, hey, look, you know, if Kirsten didn't want to be, you know, bothered in the bathroom, she shouldn't have gone to the bathroom. That's kind of like saying you asked for it. Mm -hmm. uh, and and, and it, you, this is part of two trends. Biden's okay with that, but they're not okay with hypothetical crimes. What that person did in the bathroom could be construed as a crime, coming in with a camera and filming somebody. But what, what you're seeing is we are criminalizing the life of an average American decent citizen while we stop targeting criminals. So now you can choplift anything under 900 bucks. You can beat people up on the streets in New York. You get out like that. But hypothetically, you could be a threat, a domestic threat, if they decide that's the case. And so what they're doing is these trends are happening at once. Crime is being decriminalized. Decent citizens are being criminalized at the same time, at the same rate. And it is happening to um, the fake feminist, uh, Kirsten uh, Powers. Do you remember her? She was a familiar face here, always lecturing us on how Poorly, women in politics are treated, and the need for grace. It's always it was always about grace in civil life, and then she goes after cinema. She felt the she felt that this was a cause for confrontation. She's a hypocrite, but this is the, the same logic that she's using. Like some issues are so important that you have to confront people. That was the same reason that Ashley Babbitt had when she went to the Capitol and she was murdered. An unarmed protester shot dead. Right. I try. I did a search. I couldn't find anything by Kirsten Powers about Ashley Babbitt, like saying, oh, my God, this woman went to speak truth to power, no pun intended, and she was murdered. You'd think Kirsten Powers would go like, oh, because you know what? They might share religious similarity. I wouldn't be surprised if they're both religious. But, some, but, I, but I think that when it comes to this bathroom stuff, Kirsten Powers isn't turning the other cheek, literally. Uh, she's made her name lecturing people on grace, and then she goes to CNN and does an about-face. Hypocrite. Nice. She deserves to be called out. And it rhymed. It rhymed. And you know that was... They justify it all. It's all justification. 
The cinema bathroom protest is wrong. It's also more complicated. This needs context. Jezebel absolutely bullied Kristen Cinema outside of her bathroom stall because she won't do what we want. Kristen Powers, it's been a long time since I talked about her. She used to be on CNN all the time, just totally being a fucking hypocrite. Which is worse, your grandparents being deported or being followed into the bathroom because you refuse to stop and listen by people desperate for your help? This is not a trick question. But women. I'm flabbergasted by people who think a U.S. senator has been harmed by constituents trying to get her to understand her action affect actual lives. She didn't want to be confronted in a bathroom. She shouldn't have gone to the bathroom. You brought it on yourself. Maggie Haberman, another liberal. He said such tactics aren't appropriate. Seems important as a piece of sentence, but it's not here. Because if Trump had said it, you didn't put that piece of sentence. Salon. It's time to start firing unvaccinated people. Trump fans are overdue for a lesson in consequences. You see, it all ties in. It all ties in. A lesson. You need a lesson. We're better than you. Our new issue is here on the cover. Periods on display in the cultural movement against menstrual shame and period poverty. Plus WHO air quality guidance, low back pain management, community-acquired bacterial meningitis, and more. The backlash was profound enough to move Lancet Editor-in-Chief Richard Hudson to issue statement. Dear readers, response of September 25th, 21 cover of Lancet. Here's a statement of which Richard Hurton, Editor-in-Chief, because it's dudes with periods. And while the DOJ was saying, and of course I didn't preface it because I know you all know it, you're, you're read up, they're going after parents who are protesting. All this happened this week. There's no investigations on this. There's no nothing. You noted um, in some of your findings that urgent action was required in terms of the rates of homicide, saying uh, enacting needed police reforms will be essential. Specifically, what type of reforms do you think are essential here? I think two types are essential. One is to increase the accountability of police officers who've been shown to engage in serious misconduct, uh, accountability before their own agencies uh, and the law. Secondly, is to move from police departments activities that are better handled by other agencies. uh, Being the frontline responder to drug overdose, for example, uh, in most cases, uh, uh, that's not, it seems to me, what we want our police departments to be addressing right now. Mm-hmm. Other agencies trained in medical uh, emergency services are better able to handle those calls. Responding to the day-to-day problems of the homeless uh, is better done, it seems to me, in most cases by agencies whose personnel are trained in crisis intervention. So moving from the police department activities better handled by others enables police departments to focus on the immediate and important issue of the increase in violence we've seen. You know, really quickly, for the first time in decades, the head of the CDC, Dr. Rochelle Walensky, telling CNN exclusively about a month ago, when talking about gun violence specifically, Uh, that this is a serious public health threat. We know the CDC is restarting some of that funding, some of this research. Um, Will looking at the root causes of gun violence, you think now, make a difference moving forward? Absolutely. 
we have to look at the underlying causes of uh, violence generally and uh, firearm violence in particular. One clear uh, uh, problem in that regard is the sheer quantity of firearms available for misuse in our society. Uh, there's good evidence that firearm carrying in our major cities went up last year. And as more people carry firearms, uh, more people will be shot and more will die. Uh, the other root causes, though, are just as important, and that's persistent poverty in jobless, and joblessness in our most vulnerable communities, and in particular those communities that have been hit hard by uh, the COVID pandemic. Mm -hmm. Marching for themselves and for their daughters. And we have to march, and we have to organize, and we have to fight. Thousands of women from coast to coast took to the streets in defense of reproductive rights. My body! Those rights they feel under fresh assault across the country. The front line of this new abortion battle, Texas. A restrictive new law now in force for a month bans abortions once a fetal heartbeat is detected. The Supreme Court letting the law go into effect without hearing arguments, sparking new fears conservative justices may soon strike down Roe versus Wade. A struggle to defend a woman's right to choose, a right under threat like never before. We've seen lots of passionate marches from coast to coast this weekend in support of reproductive rights as several states work to tighten restrictions on abortion. They streamed into D.C.'s Freedom Plaza by the thousands, demanding to be heard and seen, and they were angry, holding signs, chanting, my body, my choice, and they were calling out lawmakers and the Supreme Court to protect the rights of women to choose. And it wasn't just here in D.C. There were more than 650 sister marches across the country from New York to California. These marches come at a pivotal time for the abortion rights movement. Several rally goers told us they were motivated to come out after seeing Texas enact its new controversial law. Now here in D.C., a roster of speakers fired up that crowd and then they marched straight to the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court. Over the weekend, protesters left no doubt what's at stake. The most significant challenge to Roe versus Wade in a generation, with Justice Amy Coney Barrett replacing liberal icon Ruth Bader Ginsburg, abortion opponents hope this court could finally overturn Roe. The case comes with the court already in a political spotlight. Poll a appearance at a school to promote vaccinations and voting. Here's her interaction with a student. Listen to this. I believe this is George Mason uh, University. Watch. But then just a few days ago, there were funds allocated to continue backing Israel, which hurts my heart because it's an ethnic genocide and the displacement of people, the same that happened in America. And I'm sure you're aware of this. But your voice, your perspective, your experience, your truth should not be suppressed. Yeah, it just so happens she's not telling the truth. Genocide? Israel's committing genocide? Chicago's mayor's warning of severe consequences if the city does not hold gang members accountable for their crimes. This comes after a prominent prosecutor refused to bring charges against five men over a shootout in broad daylight. Correspondent Garrett Tenney reports tonight from Chicago. Five gang members are back on the streets after the Cook County State...
Uh, Congressman, whenever we have a shooting, particularly like this in a school, there are some that say in the immediate aftermath, it is too soon to talk about the politics of guns in this country. And there are some who say that if the shooting has already happened, it is too late to start talking about the politics guns in this country. I don't have to tell you, Texas has some of the most permissive gun laws in the country. You've got a, potentially an 18-year-old with a, a, a handgun at school. Uh, what do you make of the situation on the ground in Texas as relates to weapons laws and how it may or may not impact the violence like this that we see in a, in a suburban high school? Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, we know that there are, are, are certain areas when it comes to uh, gun safety where Democrats and Republicans are just you know, miles and miles apart. But I think that common sense gun legislation uh, that would uh, help situations like this perhaps, and again, we don't know all the details on how this student may have obtained this gun or, or, or exactly what type of gun it may have been, uh, but things like, you know, background checks uh, it, and, and tightening up loopholes on background checks, that ought to be something that's easy uh, private ownership of, of gun sales when, when it's a private sale, tighten up those loopholes. This becomes important, and, and I know with your last guest, the congressman, you, you brought up this issue of when, when it's appropriate to talk about the political mm -hmm. side or gun control side. For me, as a former career law enforcement officer, this isn't political at all. It's a safety issue. And in Texas, as of September 1st, you can now possess a weapon without a license, no permit, no training. Why is that important in this? Well, we need to understand whether that played a role in this. Will that new September 1st law in Texas give even kids more access to guns, not because they can walk in and purchase one as, as a minor, but rather because it's in the house more, it's in the neighborhood more. There are simply more guns out there without background checks being done. We need to study where the gun came from. And then lastly, we're and indicators missed among the faculty, the students, the counselors, the, the, the families. Were, was there talk of hurting someone? Was there talk of tension? Was the language of despondency being used? I can't take it anymore. I have, I have no other way to go. We've got to teach everyone the Where are all my abortion storytellers at? If you've had some abortions, make some noise. It's freedom. It's liberation. It's our fellow justice warriors, I greet you today with all the power and strength you need for this day. I greet you proudly as a licensed and ordained minister that has had not one, but two abortions, and I'm damn glad I did it. As a Texan, as a mama who's had several abortions, a lover of all things abortion funds, the fact that they think they can treat any of us, that they can treat Texans like this, when we need our abortions, it's got me fucked up. I had to prove to the judge that I was a good student and mature enough to have an abortion. Do you know what I wanted to say to the judge? I am not a baby-making machine, and I should be able to decide if and when I become pregnant. This is a women's issue, and... It is also a transgender man's issue. It is also a non-binary person's issue. It is also a genderqueer, genderfluid, transmasculine person's issue. This is about all of us. Abortion care is safe. 
Abortion care is essential. Abortion care is normal. Abortion is sacred. My body is my own. Abortion matters for all of us. Abortion matters for all of us. Making sure that everybody knows it's okay to have an abortion for whatever circumstance you want. To understand that sex can be fun. And it's okay to have abortions after some hot sex simply because you don't want to be pregnant. I just didn't want to be pregnant. And I want you to know that if that's your experience, that's okay too. Make no mistake. We are not just fighting for our right for ju abortion justice. We're fighting for our children's right to thrive. Abortion care is necessary. Abortion care is an act of love. Abortion is health care. Abortion is essential. Bands on our bodies. Abortion is health care. Abortion is essential. So in that little vignette, you got the Chicago shooters. You've seen the video. I can't get it anywhere. Saying pro-abortion pro people are cool. Uh, Freaking... Chucklehead Kamala nodding about Israeli genocide, real evil protesters. I mean, the list goes on with all the stuff the left says is okay, but it's not okay for people to walk around with American flags. I mean, they are... I could play what's at stake. They're terrified about SCOTUS and stop squabbling Debs and just pass the 85 entitlements so you never lose your job. No. Remember. When was this dated? October 29th, 2018. We can replace them. They just truly believe they're the arbiters of Americanism. They're the arbiters of what is America and where America should go. And when you disagree, you don't have an opinion. Who are you to have an opinion? Ran Kelly Paul. On May 28th, a Republican-hating woman called Rand's D.C. Senate office threatening to shoot you all to our staff members. She was never charged, yet if you dare expressing a nation at a school board meeting about CRT or forced mass, be Biden DOJ and FBI say you're a criminal. A mob tried, held us hostage for 10 minutes, spitting and threatening to kill us. No charges. Fake anthrax and death threats to Jerome. No charges. Now just learned the person who called Rand's Senate office threatening to shoot us will not be charged. I'm exhausted. Facebook. Do you really believe this is about kids? She's a damn operative. She worked. She donated to AOC. The, she wants to be in charge. They're going to bring her to the January 6th committee. Why? I, I don't know. Glenn Greenwald. Democrats and media do not want to weaken Facebook, just commandeer its power to censor. Facebook whistleblower Frances Hagan is a vital media and political asset because she advances their quest for greater control over online political discourse. Their aim is not to erode Facebook and Google's vast power, but to transfer it to themselves and control it. They just don't like that. Listen, 
They are already editing the dog fuck out of anything a Republican says, but they don't want Republican media on there. That's what they're going after. Ben Shapiro, people that are conservative get a voice, and they don't want that. Twitter's already locked down. Right, this is America Day's most evil thing I've ever fucking seen, and you can't even fucking share it. Twitter locked it down, and it's true. It's not even made up, but they put it, it's misleading. It's lacking context. They always do that because they don't want opposing views come out. Government secretly orders Google to identify anyone who searched a sexual assault victim's name, address, and telephone number. Couple it with the fact that they're literally going after anybody who transfers, utilizes, or does anything with 600 fucking dollars. Who's the fascist? And if you need any other fucking proof, Matt Dowd. Big announcement today. You running as a Democrat for Texas Lieutenant Governor. You're running against a party you dedicated years of your life to because you see the GOP as a threat to democracy now. Um, So what's at stake, not just in Texas, but the whole country, you think? Well, what's at stake, thank you for having me, Don. What's at stake um, is our very foundation of our democracy and actually the lives of, of millions and millions of citizens in Texas, but across the nation. And it's not a choice anymore between two sort of equal political parties that have different ideological be- beliefs. It's a choice between team democracy, which is the Democratic Party that still believes in majority rule, and team autocracy, which is the Republican Party that believes in tyranny tyranny of the minority and every single decision they do whether it's they don't believe in science they don't think telling the truth is an important value anymore they don't think protecting the common good in communities is an important value anymore and there's only one party uh, that believes in those things and that's the choice americans have to make that's the choice i've made in this and that's why i'm running especially against somebody like dan patrick who basically runs the state senate here like a dictator and has done everything in his power to hurt the majority of Texans. So that's, that's the choice today. Look, we talk about these things all the time, and I want to um, continue to discuss him, because you and I have talked many times about your concerns about the GOP and race. Earlier this month, the current Lieutenant Governor, Dan Patrick, that you were just talking about, went on the Fox Propaganda Network, promoted the, the racist great replacement theory. How did that play into your decision, or did it play into your decision to run? I'm embarrassed as most Texans are, by what the GOP leadership has been doing here. Um, So you said a month ago, you know I asked you last week (laughs) if you were going to run for governor. (laughs) And (laughs) you remember that moment, right? What were you thinking? Yeah, I remember when you talked about whispers, whispers. (laughs) We no longer have majority rule uh, because if a minority of the country can block all these things from happening, it means our democracy is at a very, very frail point and isn't functioning properly. Yeah. Well, Matthew Dowd, thank you for coming on. Thank you for answering my questions, honestly, because you did say I'm not running for governor, but you did say I will do whatever I can do to help save our democracy. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I'll see you next time. Good luck.
I'll see you next time. Always love being on. One of the first jobs I had here when, when I came to Texas, I worked for the Texas AFL-CIO in Texas on behalf of workers. My second job was for the Texas Democratic Party. Then I worked for Texas Senator, U.S. Senator Democrat Lloyd Benson, who had been, then was picked on the ticket with Mike Dukakis. And then I got to know Bob Bullock. I ran Bob Bullock's first campaign and his second campaign for lieutenant governor. He was the last Democratic it was the Democratic lieutenant governor in Texas. I also helped in that 90 race Ann Richards win the race for governor of somebody that we all look back on, on fondly in this. You probably recognize that man, our next guest, as a guest on this network and this broadcast frequently. After a lifetime in Republican politics and having watched what is happening in his own state of Texas, he made a major announcement this week, as you saw. We are pleased to have back with us tonight, Matt former strategist to George W. Bush, among others, now running as a Democrat. They're hurting Texans. They're just going out of their way cruelly and cravenly to hurt Texans. And I did, as I said, enough's enough. And so I'm going to offer my candidacy. I'm going to spend the next 400 days just telling the truth about Dan Patrick, the lieutenant governor. Um, and he's not going to like it, but I'm just going to tell the, the Texans the truth and that we can do better. Uh, we can have public service in the Capitol again, where we don't have it. And we can have truth and facts and science can lead policy and not craving this. I know that you insist upon believing that there still is a rational center out there. Uh, and here's the question. How does a lifelong uh, Texas Republican convince Democrats, uh, convince uh, moderates that as Glinda the Good Witch said, it to come out. Well, as, as you probably know, I, I started my life as a Democrat. I actually got elected the last Democratic Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Bob Bullock. I ran his campaigns in 90 and 94 and helped Ann Richards, the last Democratic elected governor of the state of Texas. So just look at what happened with Republicans in Virginia where an exceedingly bizarre and Trump-infused convention ended up having to choose a gubernatorial nominee in Glenn Youngkin. What's interesting about the new Republican nominee, he's somebody who I think is trying not to be very Trumpy, but he had to, he ended up embracing the two, you know, one or two issues that Trump cares about the most. And or it's like they, they had to do the minimum to get his endorsement, which already may be too much to win in Virginia. Yeah, Chuck, it's going to be quite a tightrope for Glenn Youngkin. Democrats are already hitting Glenn Youngkin for for his for saying election integrity is somehow the number one issue. Um, now, he's trying to distance himself from right as soon as he's got the nomination. Is he speaking out against Donald Trump enough or is he winking and nodding too much to the base? Democrats went with a, the more moderate, experienced candidate, choosing former Governor Terry McAuliffe over a slate of younger progressive candidates. What was astounding was McCullough's winning percentage. He got 62% of the vote. Do you believe you won because you were perceived as the least progressive candidate, the most moderate, the one that was that, that was the most appealing to, to sort of uh, disaffected Virginia Republicans? Do you believe this is your one path to defeat Youngkin, that you have to turn him into a Donald Trump, Ken Cuccinelli clone? Glenn Youngkin is the Republican nominee. He's been 
blasting the airwaves with ads that don't say the word Republican, desperately trying to say, hey, politics, what's happened? Can't we, you know, have... He's desperately trying to shake the Republican and Trump label if Terry McAuliffe wins in, in Virginia in this poll. So the president, uh, President Trump's tax bill was a big mistake in your mind then, right? Wasn't paid for, added to the deficit. Um, and, and so the debt, so, you know, you would not support raising the debt ceiling to help pay for that either? So the CBO had costed that out at $1.5 trillion over 10 years, $150 billion a year. And Chuck, pre-COVID, communicating with the CBO, are we revenue neutral? Did we hit the sweet spot where we were raising wages? And yes, we did cut taxes, but it was so close to paying for itself. This is so different from that. And yes, if we're cutting taxes and still spending like drunken sailors, shame on us. That's what both parties have done uh, over decades. Again, why play with the American economy and use the, the de uh, uh, this arbitrary, phony, issue the statutory power that Congress has that is literally just a magical line in the sand that Congress creates why use this as a way to punish the American economy this is you've said it yourself it's a there's nowhere it's not a Republican debt or a Democratic debt it's an American debt and it's been accumulated by all Americans why should the Republicans stay on the sidelines here why should you be respond responsible for governing if you're going to be irresponsible when in the minority it's a game of chicken, though, Senator. It looks absurd to the average person. It's why, it's why people hate politics when you play a legislative tactical game like this. Everybody knows it has to be raised, including Senator McConnell. Nobody wants to face that catastrophic issue of not raising it. You just simply want to stay on the sidelines and let the other guys do it. It just looks, it looks dysfunctional on purpose. They, they spent every penny of above and beyond spending with the $2 trillion we did, the $4 trillion they're going to ram through without so one Republican vote. And, and that is not needed in the economy at this stage. Now, I ended on Todd because he is going to be the one... Maybe I should move the bike back over um, to actually moderate that shit show of a debate. Now, this guy has deleted anybody who disagrees with him. Um, here's an article. Glaring conflict of interest moderating second Virginia debate. Uh, the, uh, in 2020, Electric Cycle, Danny's political consulting firm, Maverick Strategies and Mail, once helped Bernie Sanders' presidential camp earning $919,000. The Bernie campaign dropped almost $2 million with the firm. Chuck Todd would not comment to me on record about his conflict when I asked for it in 2016. His wife is going to be doing Dowd's campaign. On Matt Dowd's website, his political description sounds like he's running a cult rather than running for office. Another white male running for it. He deleted 16,000 tweets. Now, if you don't have Twitter, you know that is an ordeal. That's a whole project. That's a whole day and a half. Maybe a week. Because you only delete one at a time. The guy's full of shit. But they're gonna get he's gonna get promoted. CNN Brian Seltzer had Lotus Rays months ever. 
under 1 million. Fox News annihilates CNN. They're getting trashed. ESPN Gilmore chastises Oregon coach for yelling at a black player because he's white. Sage Steele has been left during an appearance on Uncut with Jay Cutler. Steele explained that she had gotten vaccinated against COVID-19 the day, but didn't want to do it. I work for a company that mandates it, and I had it until September 3rd to get it done or, or I'm out, Steele said. Former 12-year NFL quarterback who spent much of his display career with the Bears. I respect everyone's decision. I really do, but to mandate it is sick and it's scary for me. And the Colt went after him. CNN. Chris Saliza. Donald Trump is no longer one of Forbes' 400 richest people. That, that's what they covered. Uh, that's what they covered. It's it's a fucking cult. Teacher investigated for shaming unvaccinated kids on video. Schools tried to destroy the evidence. There's a whole video and everything. Elementary schools started off their welcome back with this. Good evening, Forest Hills friends and families, and welcome to Back to School Night 2021. We'll begin this evening with our land acknowledgement presented by our student school board representatives. We, the Lake Oswego School District community, acknowledge that our schools occupy the ancestral and traditional lands of the Kalapuya, Clackamas, and Kloewala peoples who are now part of the Confederated Tribes of the Grand Rod. Our community regrets the painful history of genocide, imposed assimilation, and forced removal of indigenous peoples from this territory and recognizes that injustices visit upon them have yet to be properly rectified. We honor the many diverse indigenous peoples still connected to this land on which we gather to educate our children. We honor them by sharing their stories, both told and untold, in our classrooms and schools. We thank those who were and continue to be stewards of these lands and strive to follow their example by learning how to be collaborative caretakers of the resources that these lands offer to future generations. Our community invites you to join us in acknowledging these communities, their traditions, both past and present, as we seek to create equitable outcomes and to build a culture of inclusive belonging to all students, staff, and community. It's a fucking cult. It's just a fucking cult. Washington Style Guide updated to curtail the exclusionary use of pregnant woman. Because it's, like, biologically correct, but you can't do that. Which brings me to Dave Chappelle. He's getting canceled. They've canceled people that are more powerful than me. They canceled J.K. Rowling. My God, J.K. Rowling wrote all the Harry Potter books by herself. She sold so many books, the Bible worries about her. And they canceled her because she said in an interview, and this is not exactly what she said, but effectually, she said, Gender was a fact. And then the trans community got mad as shit. They started calling her a turf. I didn't even know what the fuck that was. But I know that trans people make up words to win arguments. So I looked it up. Turf is an acronym. Stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminist. This is a real thing. This is a group of women that hate transgender, they don't hate transgender women, but they look at trans women the way we blacks might look at blackface. It offends them, like, ooh, this bitch is doing an impression of me. 
Now, I shouldn't speak on this because I am not a woman, nor am I a trans. But as we've established, I am a feminist. That's right. I'm Team Turf. I agree. I agree, man. Gender is a fact. You have to look at it from a woman's perspective. Look at it like this. Caitlyn Jenner, whom I've met, wonderful person. Caitlyn Jenner was voted Woman of the Year. Her first year as a woman. Ain't that something? Beat every bitch in Detroit. She's better than all of you. Gender is a fact. This is a fact. Every human being in this room, every human being on earth, had to pass through the legs of a woman to be on earth. That is a fact. What did he say that was wrong? What did, what did he say that's wrong? It's biologically correct. But it's, once again, if you don't think like them, you are evil. You do not have an opinion. You do not have a voice. Shut the fuck up. I mean, I even played FBI International going after people from January 6th. So, before we do the worst thing that I've ever reported on, in all these years, over six years of podcasting, I want to do a comedy because this shit is funny. Okay, so you know this one I'm, I'm fired up about. I've always, been, I've always felt this way, that social media should be regulated. They should follow the same rules that we follow here in legacy media. They should, you shouldn't just be able to spread things about people that's not true. Um, so it has a big influence on someone's livelihood, their credibility, their career, even their, their lives. And so I think that it should, it should be regulated. I've always thought that. I don't think that I should be able just to go on Twitter or Facebook or um, Instagram and say whatever I want about Chris Cuomo, whether it's true or not. The most egregious of it all, though, is what you said. It's the people who have the biggest platform on social media. And they're all righties. It's, they're all righties. They're all of them are righties. And listen, even in, if you want to call it legacy media, even, even you know, some of the conservative media, they do the same thing. They have... No, um, no, they have no real protocol. They have no real structure in what they, they, they say what they want. They put headlines and things and write about things. They that, say it's opinion. Yes, this but, is all but, opinion. But that most people, most people, we would never even put it on, give it the light of day. because That's because we one, have news accountability. That's, that's, that's the, the Fox that, farce. The uh, yeah, whole nighttime Fox lineup is social, entertainment. All right, but Fox and social, they said they, then they shouldn't put news behind it. And social media should they should not just be able to put things out there and with, you know. One of, both of them have been saying they've been accused of sexual harassment. One broke COVID protocol and is 
brother has raped half the fucking world. Accountability. The more they suppress, the more people catch that they're suppressing and they don't watch. And our next story, which is our This Is America, I woke up one morning, do my morning constitution, and this is what I found. I shouldn't be shocked. But Project Veritas, which they're trying to suppress, it was two million the other day. Millions of people have seen this video. They're trying not to let it get passed around because it's truth. If it was fake, they wouldn't care. But they're just trying not to let people see it because it's the truth. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. I work at a pharmaceutical company. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I just believe in research and science. In this database, you came across a chain of emails discussing fetal tissue and the COVID vaccine. Vanessa Gelman, who works in Washington, D.C., is Senior Director of Worldwide Research. The question came up as an inquiry to our MedInfo group. They're asking, quote, did Pfizer make use of a cell line from an aborted fetus? They want you to leave out the highlighted part, which is the one or more cell lines with an origin that can be traced back to human fetal tissue has been used in laboratory tests associated with the vaccine program. And here we have your badge. You are an employee of Pfizer? I work at the McPherson, Kansas plant. Um, It's one of the biggest plants in the operation of Pfizer. We produce some of the most units. This message from Vanessa Gilman. From the perspective of corporate affairs, we want to avoid having the information on the fetal cell lines floating out there. We believe that the risk of communicating this right now outweighs any potential benefit that we could see, particularly with general members of the public who may take this information and use it in ways we may not want it out there. We have not received any questions from policymakers or media on this issue in the last few weeks, so we want to avoid raising this if possible. Wow. We believe that the risk of communicating this right now outweighs any potential benefit we could see. They ought to put that on American currency. Philip Dormitzer, Vice President, Chief Scientific Officer. These are not low-level people here. So you're showing us emails between the Vice President of Pfizer, the Senior Director of Worldwide Research, mm-hmm. about how to couch it a certain way because we would not want to tell the people that it can be traced back to human fetal tissue. Copying Vanessa Gelman, we have an approved answer to this question, the question being about fetal tissue. Mm-hmm which Vanessa can probably provide, H-E-K-2932. What does that mean, HEC cells? Uh, Human embryo kidney cells, and it was from experiment 293. They've used cells from aborted fetuses. Yes, And they don't want the public to know that. Yes. That's staggering for society because of what you said, religious exemptions. Mm -hmm. And they're denying our religious exemptions at Pfizer. This is serious stuff you're you're, you're dealing with. These These are powerful people. And a very powerful company. They're withholding knowledge on people's approval if they can consent or not. 
from Sarah Elizabeth Weiser, the principal scientist. Uh, she's just making sure, you know, uh, just be clear, you would like medical information to reply with the text in red below, including the highlighted section. Okay. Thanks again. And then they responded, responded with, with No, I would prefer that we do not use <laughs> the text in yellow. Um, they're being so deceptive in their emails, it's almost like it is in the final vaccine. It just made me not trust it. There was an issue with the FDA and- I heard something about they're doing some sort of tests in there with lights, but I'm not sure. And I said, in unoccupied rooms and in a group lead office? And he goes, well, the FDA is coming. I could not believe that they were blacking out windows down in our manufacturing rooms. We are told that you should be seen at all times, that we need to make sure that yeah. um, we have high integrity and the, the rooms that are like this one where you can see my reflection, it's a group lead office mm -hmm. where they just do the paperwork for the batches. Mm. So why does that need blacked out? And why did you decide to come to Project Veritas? Because I felt it was the right thing to do. I feel like I have no one else to turn to when my own company won't be honest with me. What I was told to do was to trust Project Veritas and to go with you guys by lawmakers, by lawyers. Really? I was really genuinely traumatized and sickened from the things I saw and I needed to leave there. So I just took a leave of absence so that I could gather my thoughts and really kind of heal from this information. The extraordinary act of blowing the whistle on the company and publishing emails from their vice president is another step entirely. Are you are you afraid of doing this? A little bit. I, I have faith that I'll be protected or whatever the outcome is, is what it's supposed to be. So I, I'm at peace with it. I'm a little anxious on what they'll do or what they'll say, but it needs to be seen by the people because they're trying to get this to kids. And if they're being the Nick Carl is an experienced biochemist at Pfizer with a history of working in the pharmaceutical industry. Nick admits to our undercover journalist that those who've had COVID have stronger immunity than those who've received the Pfizer COVID vaccine. When somebody is naturally um, immune, like they got COVID, um, they probably have better, like not better, but more antibodies against the virus. Because what the vaccine is, is like I said, that protein that's just on the outside. So it's just one antibody against one specific part of the virus. When you actually get the virus, you're going to start producing antibodies against like multiple pieces of virus. And not only just like the outside portion, like the inside portion and the actual virus. So your antibodies are probably better at that point than the vaccination. But don't take his word for it. Two other Pfizer scientists echo the same sentiment. So I mean, well protected? Like as much as the vaccine? Probably more. How so? Like how much more? You're protected most likely for longer since it was a natural response. We're like bred and taught to be like, like vaccine is safer than, than actually getting COVID. You cannot like talk about this in public. If you have antibodies built up, like you should be able to prove that you have those built up. I mean, I still feel like I work for like an evil corporation. We're trying to keep track of everyone that's been vaccinated versus the census of how many people are actually reported. Basically, our 
organization is run on COVID money now. You don't talk about anything that can possibly implicate you or like big pharma. Um, I, even if you shut the door to the office, it's kind of like, who's listening? I specifically have like, oh god, I, I signed NDAs against this. The government doesn't want to show that the darn vaccine is full of shit. It needs to be a registry of the people who aren't vaccinated. That's sounding very for me. I'm gonna go door to door and stab everyone. Oh, it's just your booster shot. Don't get vaccinated. I didn't tell you no. She didn't want to take it because of her religious beliefs. She was coerced into taking they it. They are not reported because they want to show it on the, the map. Oh god, I, I signed the NDAs against this. So your antibodies are probably better at that point than the vaccination. You're not wearing a wire, right? <laughs> Our next installment in the series exposing Big Pharma will feature multiple releases inside one of the nation's largest COVID vaccine manufacturers, Pfizer. The series features not one, not two, but three scientists within Pfizer talking to one of our undercover journalists, making stunning admissions about the COVID vaccine and the culture inside of Pfizer. Like, we're like bred and taught to be like, like vaccine is safer than, than actually getting COVID. And that's like, like, honestly, we have to, we have to do so many seminars on this. Like, you have no idea. Like, we have to like sit there for hours and hours and listen to like, be like, you cannot like talk about this in public. You know, logically though, like if you have antibodies built up, like you should be able to prove that you have those built up. Like, and just be like, I don't know, maybe potentially that's, doesn't seem that crazy. I had COVID and I have monster immunity yeah. after eight months. So I just got checked last month yeah. for antibodies. I mean, that's no worries. Same thing with my brother. So, should I get the vaccine? Wait. Till when? If your immunity starts to wane, then get vaccinated. So I'm well protected? Yeah. Like as much as the vaccine? Probably more. How so? Like how much more? I mean... So, when we came out with... So right now we're seeing an increase in the Delta variant, mostly not because of the variant, because of immune, they're, basically their antibodies are waning. Um, so they're, they're still protected, but not at that 95% efficacy. It's more like, 70%. So you're being, you're protected most likely for longer since it was a natural response. Mm -hmm. So basically they're trying to keep track of everyone that's been vaccinated versus the census of how many people are actually reported. So I mean they're trying to get their numbers but still you shouldn't have to show anything which is basically in my opinion a, a violation of HIPAA. They, no one has the right to ask you if you've been vaccinated or so it's an invasion of privacy. I, I, I don't agree with it. So. Nick's take on these social mandates would seem to run contrary to his sentiment on antibody immunity. 
This isn't the first time we've heard this sentiment from a scientist with one of these companies. How do we get the unvaccinated vaccinated? I feel like what they're doing, like, for instance, like the city needs like vax cards and everything. It's just like about making it so inconvenient for like unvaccinated people to the point where they're just like, it okay, you know? What do you mean? Like, if you are restricting people that are unvaccinated from doing anything, and then, like, vaccinated people are allowed to do anything they want, eventually they, they're just going to be like, let me just get vaccinated. I mean, you have multiple companies that were basically given a crap ton of money to produce vaccines, and they're pushing them. So what happens to the monoclonal, monoclonal antibody trainers? Push to the side. Why? Money. It, it's disgusting. You're not wearing a wire, right? No. You want to check? <laughs> I mean, I still feel like I work for like an evil corporation because it comes down to profits in the end. And I mean, I'm there to help people, not to make millions and millions of dollars so i mean that, that's the moral dilemma billions and billions i'm trying to be nice <laughs> no yes. i hear you i hear you i, I do mean, i mean I'll, I'll still give you a hard time about it basically our organization is run on covid money now how so by it netted like over 15 billion last year Chris Croce is a senior associate scientist with Pfizer. He goes on to explain a test that is currently taking place at Pfizer, not to determine the effectiveness, but to see if it is leading to heart attacks. I'm glad you didn't get any uh, myocarditis. Yeah. That's a concern, right? Yeah. More so for younger people. Why? That's what we're looking into right now. Oh, that, cool. Yeah, so, um, yeah, we're during we just sent like 3,000 patient samples mm -hmm. to get tested for like elevated troponin levels yeah. um, to see if it's vaccine based or so what's it look like i don't know we're, we just sent that over this past week and the last batch will be sent over next week all external testing. We'll see. Hopefully it's good. Because, well, no. I mean, if not, then, my opinion, that might pull something from the market. If the scientists believe that the antibody works more effectively than the vaccines, it begs the question, what's with all the federal mandates, regardless of what the data says? There's ears and eyes everywhere. What do you mean? Yeah, Pfizer, like, in the building. Uh -huh. So it's kind of just like, you don't talk about anything that can possibly implicate you or, like... Big pharma. Um, I, even if you shut the door to the office, it's kind of like, who's listening? These expressed views run contrary to the current public policy affecting millions of people. If you're on the inside of a pharmaceutical company, contact us at Veritas. Suppressing immunity, and it was made from aborted baby parts. that most likely came from Planned Parenthood, who doesn't sell parts, but they do sell parts.
And the media suppresses that. Had I known this was made from aborted fetuses, I never would have got vaccinated. Ever. But that's how they do all this technology. Where do you think they're getting it from? Everything is using stem cells. If you go back to stem cells, because of the hide, there was a certain amount that George Bush, a Republican, allowed it. People bitched about it and said they didn't care about science. And that was a whole thing for some of you that aren't old enough. And then we had a guy capture him on video saying they did. And then they said that was a lie. But social media wasn't so big. Social media wasn't so bold that they would suppress things. Then they just outright did it and they don't give a fuck. They sell the parts. They're a fucking body shop for people. And there's experiments everywhere. I mean, we hear about them every once in a while with Fauci working on beagles and then killing them after they tortured them. And I understand we have to do stuff for science. But using aborted baby pieces to make a vaccine so fast, what does that say? If it wasn't something the American people were against, we know about it. But you can't let people know facts. From the beginning of this podcast to where we are right now, if this was Trump, the left's going to play butt Trump all over. I'm going to say butt Trump back. If Trump was president, what is it, 75 impeachments already? We were told before an election that Trump was killing Americans. More people have died under Biden than Trump. We were told phone calls were illegal. He's done like three. His stability is horrible. He can't walk downstairs or ramps. Biden did cheetah flips down Air Force One. We were told his mental capacity is insane. This guy can't remember leaders' names. He didn't remember anything about a sub thing. There's so much shit that I can't cover because I do one podcast a week. This motherfucker is incompetent and when you heard these poll numbers under trump the lowest on record the lowest the president's ever had it's october we're not even 10 months in because it's not the 21st that's when he was sworn in this dude is circling the drain because everything they're doing and everything the media is pushing is bullshit. And when people push back, they call them enemies of the state. They are the fucking fascists. If you don't want CRT, you're a racist fascist. If you don't want your kids masked, you're a racist fascist. If you say you don't want unfettered immigration, you're a fucking xenophobe fascist. It's nonstop. So much so that even Democrats get torched and chased down in the bathroom stall. Folks, if Republican, if the Proud Boys, which 
really isn't that big a thing, or the three percenters, or QAnon. All those never Trumpers are scared of QAnon. Chase people into bathrooms. They're beat charges. But you have a full shootout in broad daylight between rival gangs, and it's just called combat. Philadelphia police trapped by street racers doing this to them. Crime rates, I didn't even cover that are through the roof. Murder rates through the roof. We're letting everybody get off. A lady who just pushed somebody into a fucking subway for the second time and who beat somebody up is back on the street because of bail reform. Yeah. They're pushing Build Back Better $3.5 trillion because they know in the midterms they're going to get raped. Because even Democrats are walking away. They can't identify their party. And we talked about it ages. I was a Democrat when I was a kid. Then I became a Republican. Now I'm an independent with conservative leanings. And who doesn't really care about the social shit? I just make fun of it, but I really don't care. Folks, they're Marxists. They're fascists. They believe they have the right because they're smarter and they know more than they are. You're better that if you have any opinion, regardless of what the little letter is behind your name, they have the right for the sake of democracy to shut you the fuck up and the media's with them. If it was just the squad or BLM or Antifa, I wouldn't be doing a podcast freaking out about it, but it's supported by our media our social media every form of interaction you have with anything that puts out information is pushing this fucking cult bullshit we didn't even cover climate change but briefly with Pasaki saying fuck it you won't be able to get to work we don't want you to go to work we want you to sit in your house we're going to hand you money and you just keep voting for us because we're replacing you with people that never came from here because we don't like you you have an opinion and you're not authorized to have an opinion there is no liberty there is no freedom of speech the only speech will be our speech these are things that we watched in foreign countries and the most funny telling thing that i will say as we close this out because i'm long The fascination with Nazis during the whole time in Trump. Trump didn't tell you how to live your fucking life or what you could say. And there was no media monolith from social media to everything that's on the air but Fox News telling you you're evil if you don't agree with Trump. It was the inverse. These are the people that were saying it. They were screaming fascism. They were screaming Nazis. And they are the fucking fascist Nazis. Folks, this is out of control. If they get their $3.5 trillion, if they can get the filibuster ganked, if they can get their federalization of elections, and if they keep bringing people across the border and transplanting them to red districts, they will run this country forever. Because they'll just keep rigging the game. Just like they did in November. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with your family and friends. And go to FOPPodcast.com for all episodes. I will be doing another podcast on Wednesday. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday. The 13th of October, year of our Lord, 2021. 
I will then start doing Friday or Saturday podcast because I'll actually, I actually got some bodies in my store. And as the manager, I don't have to be a freaking indentured service anymore. And I can actually have a real schedule. So Fridays and Saturdays, I will be off going forward and you're going to get a podcast. And hopefully once we start the shift work, as I snort, sorry about that. I'll try to get weekday ones because I'll start working open to about 5.30 and I can come down here and do a short podcast. So I'm trying to get back to two because there's so much shit and I'm jamming so much at once that I literally don't even set up a script anymore. I just come down here and just start going with it because there's so much information, so much hypocrisy, and so much bullshit. Make sure you disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah-yeahs and tune back in Wednesday for our next exciting show. Thanks for listening. Take care.